Hello, hello, and welcome to Life is Fucked, a podcast filled with biased opinions from people you don't know and probably don't care about. Let's get started. This is our training wheels sec- oh, um, episode. <gasps> episode. <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what we're doing, but come along for the ride, I guess. Yep. Um, I'm sick. My voice doesn't normally sound like this. If you hear another person talking in later episodes, probably still me. Or maybe I was killed and replaced. Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, I'm Belle, our resident sexpert. And I'm Sam, our resident demigoddess. I'm... We, we're calling you that because I like having sex. And we're calling me that because I don't like having sex. Ayy. Ay. <laughs> Wait, they can't see the fist bump in the podcast. Oh, <laughs> we just gave each other a wicked fist bump. Sorry, yes. you had to miss out on that. Yes. So why did you get blood drawn today? Why did it? Okay, I don't really know. I went to my pediatrician because I still have a pediatrician. I do too. 18. I went to her yesterday. Right? Okay, yes. I feel like I should get an adult doctor, but I kind of like the atmosphere, the I, vibe. Yeah, and also I don't want to tell my pediatrician that I'm not going to be with her. Yeah. So it's going to be like super awkward next year when I'm like 19 in the pediatrician's office. Yeah, but I don't want to break up with my pediatrician. Yeah, no. Nutrition is good. Yeah. Yeah. I went in yesterday because I thought that I had a sinus infection. Um, turns out I have like a normal cold and my dad was just freaking the fuck out because he had a sinus infection. And then she had me get STD, STI testing, oh, which is why I wonderful. got blood drawn. Oh, that's why you got blood drawn? Yes. Mm-hmm. I got, I think I'm testing my cholesterol or starting okay. off on regular blood, like... So figuring case, out what my levels are so that over the years, if there's a spike in one thing or a drop in another thing, we'll be like, oh, that's abnormal. Because when you were 18, it didn't look like that. Oh, I don't well, know. that is actually, that's smart. That makes sense. So I know that I'm okay in terms of STDs and STIs, but ever since my doctor told me that I should get tested, I've become consumed by a fear that I have HIV. Honestly, I totally get that. Yeah, it's like... I was talking to, like, my other friend the other day, and she was saying, like, she knows that she's good, too, but until she got tested, she had this fear that, like, she could just, like, make HIV on her own. <laughs> yes. Because it's, like, where did it come from? It had to know. come from one person. <clears throat> I don't know. Patient X. I've never, never had yeah. sex. Never even done anything, like, below the belt. But I'm convinced that I could get an STD or STI out of the blue, and I'd be like, that makes sense. Yeah. If someone like, tested me, and they're like... Sorry, you got gonorrhea. I'm like, ah! Like, a bird poops on you and you're just like, well, better die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, did you know that Typhoid Mary was a real person? Like, a phrase, Typhoid Mary, that's used to refer to people who are the initiator, like, the patient X for a sickness. Typhoid Mary was a real person. Really? She was called that because she had typhoid and she refused to stop working in the restaurant industry. (laughs) <laughs> she got banished many, many times and came back under different names to contaminate people by being a cook in restaurants. Was she just really dedicated to cooking? Or I, did she kind of want to spread this around? I think that she wanted to spread it around. She killed like 32 people at least. Like a recorded 32. That's suspicious. Yeah. Eventually I think they banished her to an island. I don't know if she got back or not. This sounds like a crazy story. Yeah, Wait, it happened when in England. In England, uh, 1600s, I think. Man. Yeah. You know what? When people ask those questions, like if you could interview or have coffee with someone Why from any time. Why do you want to have coffee with her? 
typhoid Mary? You want to get typhoid? No, like but really like old strain of typhoid. Not really, but <clears throat> I want to know what goes on in her mind. I mean, a what point. a woman. She she mm. was set on spreading <laughs> typhoid <laughs> as much as she could, and she said, "I'm gonna be." In the kitchen, and I'm gonna give this to as many she people as I can. She back to England like six times. Dedication. Oh can you drink coffee through a hazmat suit? Because that's what you need. I feel like mm. the really old forms of typhoid probably aren't medicated against. Like I know that diseases evolve, and so we have to cre- to continue evolving medications. But like, what if if you go far back enough, it's like so unevolved that it's something different? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I saw this thing, or I read about it, where if you were a time traveler and you went too far into the back or to the future, you could die or spread disease because your immune system is used to the bacteria in the world today. And so if you went back, you could spread, like, different germs that you just were carrying. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you could also pick up something and it would be so different. It would be like the difference between a dinosaur and a lizard. Yeah, I don't want to fuck with the dinosaurs. I don't want to fuck with the dinosaurs. Yeah. Gosh, it's... Imagine if you saw, like, an actual T-Rex. I I don't know what I would do. I was so scared when I was little that... Are you allowed to crack your nails on podcasts or crack your fingers? I don't think so. Whatever. Um, I don't know if allowed is the right term. I feel like we can do whatever we we want. want. Okay. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) Ha! This kid. (laughs) Yeah, but when I was little, I was so scared that I would look out my window in the middle of the night and there would be a T-Rex looking in. Oh, what what floor did you live on? Like, how tall up were you? Um, My window, well, I've lived in the same house since I was about three, and my window is, it's on the second story, but the first story is also elevated, so I would say my window was 30 or 40 feet up. See, I don't know how tall a T-Rex is. I don't know how tall but a T-Rex is. But I feel like... That's a reasonable height for the T-Rex's face to yeah, just right in the window. That's what I thought too. Plus, like, when I thought about it too much, I would fall asleep and start dreaming and the T-Rex would be in the dream. Oh, whoa. Dreams, by the way, dreams are crazy. Dreams are crazy. I used to dream. It was like this crazy lucid dream, but I was convinced I was awake. Oh I would just dream myself to the ceiling. Like, I would levitate. Whoa. And it was, if I moved an inch or if I blinked, I would fall back down. I don't know what that was, but it happened a few times. That's and insane. I, like, I just rose up to the ceiling. Like in, like in the haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Which I now I don't want to look behind me because I feel like the bent neck lady is there. Oh my god. Have you continued watching it? No! Horror scares the bejesus out of me, Sam. Okay, I, I've watched the whole thing. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I read that season two is supposed to be much more scary, quote unquote. It actually, I feel like it was <clears throat> less scary as huh. it went on because it kind of started to focus more on the family. Okay. And more dynamics like and... The frights became a lot more psychological, which I can deal with okay. better. No, I love that. Like, which I'm is like, um, like what is a ghost? A ghost is... They really played with the idea of what ghosts are, like, like what you're that. haunted by. Like and it's that. not just a spirit. It could be a wish, a memory, um, a secret like what, that's haunting you. What's his name? Steve the douchebag was talking about yeah. in the first episode? Yeah. Does he become better? He does become better. Because he saw his dead sister's ghost screaming lady face yeah i didn't like that yeah i like i like psychological thrillers i like the only horror that i like pretty much is 
horror that has a very concrete idea behind it where the purpose isn't to scare, mm. but the purpose is to tell a compelling sco- story. Have and you there seen Us? Parts. Us is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. Yes. I so love good. Us because it <clears throat> does exactly that. I mean, it's scary and it has horror elements, but it's not a cheap scare and the focus on exactly. how the family deals with it. That's the focus of the story, not a, ooh, we're going to get ya. Yeah, really, and, like, the mindfuck at the end was insane. Should we talk about it? We'll give a spoiler alert. Okay, spoiler alert for us. Yeah. So, it turns out, there wasn't really a difference, the way that I saw it, okay, there wasn't really a difference between the people underneath and the people up top. They're the exact same kind of people, it's just the environment, which is, like, a total breakdown of the nature versus nurture argument. But I think it also contains the nature argument because they do embody each other in a way. Yes, and they are connected. And they complete each other. And the fact that, what I kind of got from it too is the fact that they're separated caused a lot of turmoil. Because as long as there were two of the people who looked the same, the world on the ground would not accept them to live together. So they had to be separated Mm. so one person had to be living a worse life. It was like this brutal balance that was enforced. Yeah. And something that I found really compelling and really made me think a lot is the fact that all of the tethered are acting under Red's will. They were manipulated Mm. and Red was Mm. kind of like the one source of propaganda to all of them. And Red told them, those people up there, they are the reason you're down there. They are the enemy. We need to go up there and kill them because you're suffering and look at how lavish and lovely lives they're living. It's not fair. We need to go out and kill them. Because from Red's perspective, she actually knows that her double is the reason that she's down there because she wasn't born underneath. I wonder why she didn't talk about that beforehand. Because, like, I feel like it's plausible. Like, I don't... It's not like... Like, it is plausible that she wouldn't mention it before. But I think it's really interesting. And, like, the part that struck me the most was was when she's dying. When she's whistling the song. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of showing to me that, like, even though she was trying to kill her double, what she really wanted was that embrace. Like, that connection there that she didn't get. Yeah. And, <clears throat> honestly, I think she's kind of right in some ways. Like, I think that if people had known about their doubles underneath and, like, and they didn't see, like, not in, ter- not in terms of a broader sense of, like, you could embrace this person and have them be a counterpart in your life, but, like, in terms of there is one other person out there who looks like me, who is like me in the most fucked up ways, and they want, they probably want to do bad things to me, then I think the natural, like, the animal... I, I don't know if it's an animal or a human instinct. It's Self-preservation just, instinct. Yes, exactly. And I think there's something <clears throat> wholly unnerving about seeing someone who looks exactly like you and not knowing who they are. That would freak me out. That's why mirrors freak me out so much. I really don't like mirrors very much. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm a very narcissistic person. No, I'm not a narcissist. I'm just very vain. There is a difference. Um, so I spend a lot of time, like, looking in mirrors because I want to look cute. But then, like, mirrors at night and stuff, I'm, like, I kind of have to remind myself that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Mirrors, I feel like, represent a lot 
symbolically and metaphorically, but also just practically what it is we do with them. And I feel like there is so much, there is such a balance of self-love and self-hate that comes through mirrors. And there's something about seeing yourself Mm-hmm. that in some ways I feel like the mind isn't totally prepared to do. Because, I mean, if you think about it, the closest thing that our great, great ancestors had to mirrors was like a lake water. or some ice and water. And water is such a deep human connection point. Yeah, and it feels like a connection that's more, I don't know what the word for it is, but like bound in nature and meant to be from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And mirrors are such a artificial, literal thing. Yeah. We made them. We created them as, like, a distillation of these natural pieces. Yes. And I think that when humans do that, a lot of the time, it gets a little weird. Yeah. And then, like, the idea of selfie culture comes into my mind, too, because it's, like, preserving a bit of a mirror. But it's also interesting because... Most selfies are not the mirror image of you because the, the camera is flipped. Which is why, like, for me, a lot of the time I'll look at them and not like how I look as much as I liked in the mirror. But yeah. I don't think anyone can tell. I mean, I think that's just, it's even more fascinating with technology today, with the mix <clears throat> of literal actual mirrors, how self-image comes into play all the time and how it's there isn't one face to you. I, I mean, there are some photos of me where I think, who is that? Because that does yeah. not look like who I think I look mm-hmm. like. And then I think, oh, does everyone see me like this? Yeah, I wonder that all the time. Like, the way that I think that, the way that I look like, like, when I look in a mirror, is that how people perceive me? And I also was looking at some of, like, my old selfies because I take a lot of selfies because I'm very vain. Um... And I realized, like, the way that I angle the phone makes me look a different way that I didn't notice. Like, I think I angle it so that I have, like, more Eurocentric features. Mm. Like, so that my, my, like, my jawline looks, like, narrower and, like, my eyes look bigger. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is, like, kind of weird and messed up. Yeah, and, like, so subliminal and in our programming without even realizing it because I do stuff like that too mm-hmm. where a, a perfect angle is like, oh this is my best angle I look the best here but what am I looking like what, what am I trying to best? what is best and what am I trying to look like yeah really and I kind of wonder like if we went back and looked at like the historic beauty standards from like the different cultures that we're descended from like for me if I looked at like what the Korean beauty standards would have been when my grandma was a child and, like, what the English beauty standards would have been before, or, like, a lot of my English family came from England and, like, how I fit into those and how it informs the beauty standards that I hold for myself today. I think that would be really interesting. <clears throat> yeah, that's, like, a whole other 23andMe project. Yeah. Really. Actually, I kind of want to do that. I feel like, do you, how hard do you think that would be? Um, I mean, with technology nowadays, I feel like it would be a really accessible project. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, no pressure, but I feel like this could also be a great art piece or creative output Mm. of some point. Because I don't know, I feel like if you're doing all of that research and really finding those different ties to yourself, I think that's beautiful and should be shared. Thank you. Yeah, that's actually, that's really great. And it's kind of funny that you say no pressure because I was just talking with my therapist yesterday about how like 
art is one of the most important fulfilling things to me and a lot of the time I just don't do it and I was trying to figure out why and I realized that it's because I've built up this image for myself and I think this image of me in other people's minds that I am an artist and it's put so much pressure on me that I shy away from do actually doing the art. It's become part of a to-do list and part of something that I need to maintain for myself rather than something that's actually fulfilling for me. Even though when I do it, it is fulfilling. I just had my last session with my therapist. That's so sad. I know. I'm moving away to the East Coast and she legally cannot therapize me. Why? Her license is only, like, in California. So now that I, that I live in, that I'll be living in New York, she it'll be legally you impossible. You can't do a phone conversation? Technically, no. Not one that I'm paying for, you oh, know? Oh, shoot. Hmm. I'm going to continue to do that with my therapist, even though she's not licensed in Ohio and just not tell the cops. <laughs> Don't tell the cops. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is between us and you. Yeah. She gave me this box. And it was like a wish box, which was, side note, a great send-off. And she put wishes for me in this wish box, which was so sweet. And then she gave me paper for me to put my own wishes in. And one of them, she said, was creativity and self-love. And she said that as she, because we've, I've been seeing her for five years. Mm -hmm. And she said that she always sees this kind of love and self-love indirect spark that comes from me when I talk about my art, yeah. when I talk about creating. And I realized that high school and all of its bullshit really kept me from creating a lot. Yeah, we're so constrained by the idea of like coolness and coolness does not align with what is good for yourself and what is fulfilling for yourself. Like I don't think even for like the people that we would look at and think this person has it all figured out, this person is our definition of cool. Like, I, I do not think that anyone who was cool traditionally cool actually has it all figured out i mean i don't yeah, think anyone no. really does ever have it all figured out no. but people i think it's too easy to look at these popular figures and think that they have it all or they are living the best iconic high school teenage life and are to be envied yeah really it's just it's kind of sad i don't know Sometimes, like, I don't know what the definition of of traditional cool is, or even what my definition of cool is anymore. Like, I can look at people and, like, I think that you're really cool. Like, there's other people that I think are really cool, and, like, they are not the same kind of person. But then for me, like, when I was in high school, sometimes I would struggle with, like, not even people thinking that I was cool, but people having a certain idea of me or a certain expectation. And a lot of the time it was something really good. Like, someone thinks that I'm a really kind person. But then I'm, like... What if I'm just, like, sad today and I don't have the energy to be, like, this perfect person for maybe this younger girl who's really looking up to me? And I want to be able to put in the effort. And today, I just kind of can't. And then it's like, but then I feel so guilty for not being the best that I could be, even though I'm trying really hard to be the person that this younger girl thinks that I am. And then I just have a lot of guilt, and she probably didn't notice anything, and I'm still sad. Yeah. Expectations. Expectations. Mm -hmm. Negative and positive. They can put a lot of pressure on a person. Yeah. I I felt really pressured in high school to be the perfect theater nerd. Ooh. You know, because I was on stage. I would be up in the booth. 
But the one thing I didn't do is I didn't sing because I'm not a singer and I don't really feel comfortable singing on stage. Mm. And I got a fair amount of people saying, oh, you should just do the musical. Like, you should just sing. You should just do it. And I felt like I was missing this part of the theater girl identity. Like, I had to go up on stage and sing a bit in order to really be that does-it-all girl that lives in the gumption theater. And I really had to take some time and say, you know what? This is a boundary you're putting up for yourself. You don't feel comfortable singing in front of people and you don't want to share that part of your voice with them. And that's okay because you don't owe that audience anything. You really don't. I have so much respect for you for like knowing that boundary for yourself and putting it up. That's amazing. Thanks. I have so much respect for you for just being so conscious of how you affect other people or how other people might be looking up to you. That's something that I goes right over my head. I don't even, I kind of live under the impression that no one's ever looking at me. Oh, that's that's so interesting because I dress and act and function under the impression that someone is always looking at me. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of weird. I don't know. Like, like having actual alone time is really hard for me because I have to consciously kind of remind myself that there's no one around. And a lot of the time I'm wondering if there is. I live in this, it's not a super secluded part of Marin, but my house is away from a lot of other houses. And when you're in the front yard, no one in another house can see you, which would be great for nude sunbathing if my family wasn't always around. <laughs> but even when I'm out there, I'm functioning under the impression that there's probably someone wandering around the house who might be looking out the window now. And like, I spend so much time posing without even thinking about it, that it's become almost a part of my identity to be like that. I would spend like, I said, for a while during the school year, I was like, I would spend 45 if to, if I, 45 minutes to like an hour and a half picking out clothes, but it probably ended up being more like two hours, like every night picking out clothes for the past year. Oh, wow. And I told myself that it was to make myself feel like good and feel put together, but I think it became a lot more of a distraction and a coping mechanism to avoid dealing with my homework, to be in a place where I could be like, well, I don't have anything else, but I'm looking, I'm looking my definition of good today, and other people are probably looking at me and thinking, wow, she looks put together, so even if I'm having like a horrible mental breakdown, people will think I'm together. But then sometimes people would be like, wow, you have everything put together. And I would just kind of like, <laughs> like this super yeah. dead laugh. Yeah, like, and, ah, 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 And now I don't even know how to dissect which parts of my identity are, are informed by me thinking that people are looking at me. Mm. I always, this is always related to childhood memories. I mean, honestly... It's crazy when I look at myself and how I interact mm. with the world and I realize how much I'm influenced by what I felt as a child. Because huh. I always, I think I always considered myself a burden on my family oh. when I was really young. Just because I was the first child and I could pick up on, a, I was a really sensitive kid, so I could pick up on a lot of anxieties from my parents and I knew that it was coming from me because I was the child that they had to take care of. But I didn't realize that 
that anxiety was totally normal and, and it that comes from love. it comes from love and that I wasn't a burden. And I felt like I always had to make myself small. I always had to kind of self-contain or if I had a problem, figure it out on my own, not bother oh. other people. And that totally weaves into how I interact with the world today. I never feel like anyone's looking at me and I don't want them to for the most part, unless I'm on stage or something. And I have created this physical persona that will say a lot without me saying anything. It's If I feel uncomfortable, if I'm in a crowded place, I will disappear and people won't talk to me and people won't see me. Whoa. It's kind of, yeah, and I dress kind of like the opposite of you because you have amazing fashion sense and you just like go you pick a lot of bright clothes and match with a ton of dark clothes because you're just everywhere and it's great and I kind of have two jeans and 10 shirts and I cycle through them and I can totally disappear I still really like how you dress (laughs) thank you I appreciate the um like, I feel like it carries some of your sense of self in a way that I feel like some of the way that I dress is more putting on a costume. Mm. The time. That's really interesting. That explains part of why sometimes you're really hard to find. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. <looking> for... <laughs> you're probably like, huh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to disappear. And it's also, it's kind of interesting. I feel like we both have what people would call memorable faces, but... I don't know how to act in a way to get people to not notice me. Like, man, maybe that's because I've spent so much time trying to figure out how to get people to notice me because I'm seeking some kind of validation for some reason. But, like, if someone can see my face and I cut them off when I'm driving, I feel like they're going to remember me if I cut them off again. And they're probably going to, going to like, if they see me on the street. Yeah. Like, like I went to the bank the other day because I was having issues with this fucking scammer for outside lands tickets and like I went in there and I had not been in that bank in like god I don't know like at least four years and this this guy came up and he's like oh hi yeah I'm I'm your banker I helped you out last time and I was like uh uh hi plus now he has a crush on me and I don't know how old he is oh, but it's okay old. because he helped me get my money back well, <laughs> least there's that yeah yeah i had a similar but opposite experience at the bank where i went in once with a friend because we were cleaning out my room Mm -hmm. and i found so many coins it was ridiculous i think i found like more than a hundred dollars worth of coins Oh my god, you posted it on Snap. Yeah, Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was insane. But we went to the bank, the one, the the Wells Fargo, Mm -hmm. that was just uh, like three blocks away. Uh, And this woman, she helped us count the coins. And we were there for like 10 minutes and having conversation. And I came back a month later with my mom to do some stuff with checks and my Mm -hmm. card. And I don't know if she remembered me or not, but she didn't say anything. And she didn't look at me like, oh, were you the girl that came in with like $100 worth of coins? Because I feel like that's a memorable story. But she didn't even... Dang. She didn't mention it. So if she recognized me, she didn't say anything. Huh. That's very interesting. How does... How do you feel about that? Like, are you like... 
do you think it's funny or are you like upset about it or I I guess I'm not sure how to feel about it in the sense that it's I've always interacted with the world this way and it in some ways it feels very comfortable being forgotten because then it's like I get to be my own self and redefine myself if I didn't like what I put front the last time. Oh, huh. Because I, if I try to be memorable or try to make a real connection, then I'll put an effort into to make sure that this person remembers me and we can continue with the relationship, whatever it is, how informal or distant. But if it's, but if I feel nervous or if I feel overwhelmed, I want to be able to slip in and out because I guess in some ways when I feel anxious, I feel like I'm at my not lowest point, but I'm not at my best and I don't Mm. want people to see me like that. So in some ways, it's like a nice protective shield. But in others, I, I do it very subconsciously. So in other situations, like in college, I wouldn't want to be just forgotten I want people to remember me and reach out to me and want to hang out with me. And I'm trying to figure out how to make my demeanor a lot more approachable and make myself Mm. more memorable. At least for, like, the first couple weeks. Do you want to, like... You're trying to, like, bring out parts of yourself that you think will make yourself more like that? Or... Yeah, in some ways. I... I, Like, carry around, like, a big pink flamingo (laughs) all the time and just hit people (laughs) with that that would be a very effective way. I don't think anyone would forget me. Hey, flamingo lady, that's me. Yeah, I got a bruise right here from that flamingo. Like, I, I marked you. Until the bruise goes away, you have to hang out with me. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Too kinky. Oh, so no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm a hider. And I'm an avoider. So... It's like my way of hiding in plain sight. And I'm trying to be okay with not feeling hidden. Because also feeling like everyone can see me does freak me out sometimes. Does overwhelm me. But not on stage, which is funny. Huh. Because in stage, maybe it's a power thing. Because, you know, you're looking at me. This is my stage. It's my home. I get to demand what happens on here, and you are just an audience member. Yeah, and you're a really good actor, so you can capture the audience that way. Thank you. When I, like, perform when I sing or something, yeah, you can't tell that I sing now. Sometimes I sing, and it's okay. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, like, I feel like I have the power, but I'm almost overwhelmed by it. Like, I don't know what to do with it, which is really different from how, like, Sometimes during last school year, I would walk into the all-school meeting slightly late on purpose because I wanted the majority of the school to see my outfit. Mm. Because I almost wanted to have that, like, burned into their brains in some way. Like, oh yeah, this day, Belle looked like... (laughs) And, like, maybe I want to stick it to someone subconsciously, or maybe I want someone to, like, look at me and be like, wow. I really wish I hadn't, like... Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I didn't say anything about them. It's just confusing because I'm still full of, like, anger about it. I wish I hadn't made the choices I made with that person and I could still be with them in some way. Like, I want to create this kind of, like, desirable yet unattainable yet attainable appearance, like, appearance for me. It's like an avatar that I put on. Yeah. And the inverse of that is that I feel like I carry all the baggage of all the past bells. 
and I can never let any of that go because people will still remember me as like a girl in middle school who was really depressed and a huge asshole about it a lot of the time. Like, my mom told me that on the first day of high school my haircut made me look like a skinhead, which made me feel really bad. Um, and now I feel like I am stuck as the person who came in with that haircut, whether or not it made me feel bad, because now I have my mom's voice telling me that it made me feel bad. I remember your hair on the first day of school. I'm pretty sure I complimented it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I liked your hair too. I complimented it too, but I thought that you didn't want to hang out with me because you looked at me and then you kind of looked back and sort of kept talking to Julia and I was like, oh. Oh yeah, that was me being very anxious. Oh, okay. Oh, huh. yeah. Me from sixth grade to late ninth grade, crazy. Crazy times. I was hmm. like a big potato sack of confusion. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how my demeanor was. I felt like a potato sack, and I didn't really know what I wanted to be, and I mm. didn't know who I was, and I was confused about friends a lot and worried about mm. people, because I've always been someone that's really valued people. Yeah, me too. But until, like, sixth grade, I had a really hard time connecting with oh. people. And I would hide all the time. Oh, do you want to hear a really <laughs> depressing yeah. story? Yeah, oh yeah, let's go. God. Okay, so there was a group of... In my, I went to an all-girl private middle school. Crazy school. <laughs> um, there was a group of girls who were really popular, and the popular girls were the sporty girls. Ooh. Mm-hmm, the soccer girls. Uh, I somehow got semi-close to them because my mom was friends with some of their friend of some of their moms and long story short, I got invited to this what's it called? Super Bowl party. Super Bowl party in sixth grade? I think this was in seventh grade. <coughs> still, okay, Super Bowl party like, in seventh grade. The only thing I do at Super Bowl parties is force people to play poker with me and clean them out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's so into football. I didn't know what was happening. What? And the the popular girls are playing these games downstairs. And I just decided I wanted to see if they would notice if I was gone. So oh, I, no. I know. I know. I hid oh, behind a trash no. can. For 40 minutes. And it was like, ooh, let's see if anyone will notice that I'm gone or look to find me. No one did. I've tried to do that. And it always just makes me sad. You know, it really really was like this weird form of self-punishment. And I only do it for me at least when I'm already in a bad headspace. Yes, I was like, <coughs> I wanted them to prove me wrong, but, but I knew that they wouldn't. But you also want them to prove you right, so yes. that you can, because the depression spiral wants more depression. There's something kind of toxically validating about knowing yeah. that people don't care about you, or that people weren't looking for you, or didn't notice yeah. that you were gone, and that you're not that important to them. It kind of creates, like, at least for me, like, this weird like, bad Edgar Allan Poe romantic idealism. Yes. I was stuck in that headspace a lot late middle school. That's that's what I came into in high school, and then I got out of it. Yeah. Thank God. Hmm. I came into high school thinking that I had already experienced the worst possible things that I would experience in my life, and that I might as well be really outgoing and get to know people and appreciate them because I had already survived what I thought would be the worst thing that I would ever go through. And then I was proved wrong. 
But yeah, I came in thinking that I knew how the world worked. How I, I felt like I had already seen the hardest things to see in life. Uh-huh. And I was just wrong. I also came into high school thinking that I wouldn't cry at school at all. I cried at school, like, every week. Oh my god, in freshman year. Oh, that's another thing that I can't ever get away from. Crying so much in high school in, like, the most random places. Oh, everywhere. The, the yeah. tears don't wait. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and, like, your list of teachers in the affinity show that you cried in front of was, like... My list of yes. teachers was similarly so long. Like, yes. Like, I remember going up to, like, Skylar Sturgs in um, Science 2B and being like, I am such a failure! And then just, like, letting loose. And he was looking at me like, I don't know how to fix this machine. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, it seems to me that considering your recent medical issues and how hard you've been working, I would not say this is a student that's in trouble. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> but I still love him, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I wrote a piece and I basically just talked about my experience in high school and I listed all of the teachers I cried in front of. If anyone listens to this, comment down below. <laughs> if yes. you went to Urban, guess how many teachers I cried in front of. Oh my god, I don't remember. And we will tell you next episode if you got it right. Alright, yes we will. Alright. All right. Tap in later on. No, is, do you always say tap in for drugs? I don't know. Okay, tap into our podcast <laughs> later on <laughs> for the best brain drugs you can get. This is Bell and Sam signing off.